welcome to the weekly podcast of Covenant Grace Menifee. Each week, we gather to better understand the teachings of the Bible and how to live them out in our daily lives. We hope and pray that you're encouraged by this week's message. Thank you for the purity of your word. We thank you that your word can be trusted, and as we read it, empowered by your spirit, that we actually hear from you, the living God. And Lord, as we come before you this morning in worship, we're well aware of our sin. As your son said that the greatest commandment is to love you with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength, and to love our neighbors as ourselves. And as we come before you, we realize that we have not done that. We have sinned against you in the things that we've done, and we've sinned against you in the things we've left undone. And so we pray this morning, even as we approach you now and approach your word, that you would forgive us for the sake of your son Jesus, for the sacrifice that he made, that his blood would be our entrance into your presence right now. And we pray that as we enter into your presence, that we'd be transformed by beholding you. We pray, Lord, that you would do what only you can do, which is to um, tame unruly desires and change our hearts to love the things you love and to delight in the things you promise. Lord, we pray that you would command what you will and that you would make possible what you command. Lord, we believe your spirit is here among us. We believe your spirit lives within us. And so we're looking to you for the transformation only you can do. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So we're in this series on the Holy Spirit, and we're looking at how um, the advantage that the disciples had after Pentecost. So Jesus said, it's actually better that I go away so that the helper will come to you. And we're looking at the different ways the Holy Spirit has given us advantage, even over what the disciples had. Back when they had Jesus walking with them, they got something better after Pentecost, the indwelling of the Spirit. And that's something we have as well. And so this morning, we're going to look at how the Holy Spirit makes life better by uniting us as one body, okay? And God has always desired to have a physical, visible uh, people that would declare his praise. And in the Old Testament, we see he called Abraham to create a nation that would represent him on earth. And in the New Testament, we see that God has chosen to expand that nation to all the uh, people of every tribe and nation and people and language, And that he's united us all, not by a land, not by a language, not by a race, but by his Holy Spirit. And so that's what we're going to look at this morning. First thing I want to show you from this passage is that the Holy Spirit has made us one body together. This is a fact. Take a look at verse 12. For just as the body is one and has many members, and all members of the body, though many, are one body, so it is with Christ. For in one spirit we were all baptized into one body, Jews or Greeks, slave or free, we were all made to drink in one spirit." Holy Spirit has made all of us spiritually into one body. Just like the human body is made up of several cell types and tissues and organs and parts, and yet works as one coordinated whole, God has, by the Spirit, made us into one spiritual body, Christ's spiritual body on earth, to work together, though we're diverse, to be coordinated and live out his mission together. And and this metaphor of a body is really common. It's even common now that when you get groups of people together, you can talk about them as a body, right? It was common in the ancient world as well. Um, They use this as a metaphor. But Paul isn't actually saying that we're metaphorically a body together. He's saying we're actually a body together. You say, well, how could that be? Well, um, I have a diagram for it. So when you came to Christ, when you came to believe in Jesus, the Holy Spirit came to dwell in you. And you can see that in verse 13. It says... In one spirit, we were all baptized into the body. So we were all baptized or immersed in the Holy Spirit. And we see that throughout John, that Jesus came being the one that wasn't going to baptize with water. He's going to baptize with the Spirit. And so you were, when you came to saving faith, baptized in the Holy Spirit, immersed in him. And that picture of immersion is great because it's like a sponge that you soaked up the very person of God into your being. 
What's the other image that he has there? Is a second image. Not just immersion, but what? Drinking. Check it out. At the end of 13, it says, all were made to drink of one spirit. So you have this picture of like, you're immersed in the Holy Spirit, and he, person of God, came in within you from the outside. And then you have another image of you drank the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit came within you. And realize we're speaking about God here, that God came to dwell within you. And so if we have uh, the Trinity, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, living from eternity past in fellowship with each other, loving one another, and here's you, and when you came to saving faith in Christ, what happens is the Holy Spirit, he came to dwell within you, and he's linking you to Christ, right? He united you to Christ, and so even now you have the Holy Spirit living within you. As you go through life, you're not going through life alone. You're going through life with Christ connected to you, that his very life can flow into you. You get all the benefits of being connected with Christ through the Holy Spirit. But here's the cool thing. This happened to other people. This happened to all other believers, right? And so you've got another believer here, and the Holy Spirit, you know, came into him, and you have another believer here, and the Holy Spirit came into her, right? And you have all this, all these believers, and the Holy Spirit connecting them to Jesus by coming to dwell within them. And so as he's done that, he's actually united us to each other, right? I mean, if we could see in the spiritual realm, we would see the Holy Spirit in each one of you, and, and, and you being somehow connected by the Holy Spirit to the Trinity, and, and there's all these connections all over. It's amazing we can walk around and not get tangled up, right? It's this matrix of the Spirit's life. And what that creates of the Holy Spirit dwelling in each one of us is it creates a unity where we are one body. We're the body of Christ. And this is spiritual, right? His physical body is in heaven, right? But his spiritual body is on earth, and that's us. We are one spiritual body together. Um, you have the, your union with Christ by the Spirit, and then we have something called a communion of the saints here by the Holy Spirit. Isn't that amazing? That's a real thing. So the body thing, the, the body of Christ thing, it isn't just a metaphor, like, oh, you know, Menifee is kind of a body of people. and No, this is the only organization on earth that actually is a real innervated body. We are made one body by the Holy Spirit within us. The Apostles' Creed says, I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church. When it says that, it means universal church, not Roman Catholic. It says, I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints. Because we believe in the Holy Spirit, we believe in this communion of saints, that we are connected in a real way because we're connected by a real person. And this communion of saints actually extends not just in this room and not just around the world, but throughout time. So you are connected by the Holy Spirit to what's called the universal church, what we call the Catholic church, the universal church. It's, it's the church as she spans throughout time. And you can see a picture of that in Revelation 7, when John says, I looked, and behold, there was a great multitude that no one could number, from every nation and all tribes and peoples and languages, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed in white robes, with palm branches in their hands, crying out, Salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne. And this universal church extends all the way from Adam and Eve, the first believers, all the way to the very last Christian that will be born again. We're actually united with them as one people. It's the communion of saints. We have a common union with the Holy Spirit to Christ that makes us united in a communion of saints. 
And, and we, we, guys, we know this. Have you ever noticed when you meet a believer for the first time, even if it's a foreign person, you immediately feel a connection? Like when I was in Mongolia and I met Christians there, there was an immediate sense there that these people are connected to me. I could discern that the Spirit was within them. You know, Paul talks about discerning the body rightly, that when you see another person that's a believer, you can discern that the Holy Spirit's within them. That's that universal church, that universal communion of the saints, right? But that gets lived out, guys, in local churches, right? That unity gets lived out in countless little local bodies, right? The Holy Spirit makes our church not just an organization, but an organism, right? There's a real life between us. It's not a metaphor. There's a real life between us because there's a real person in us and between us binding us together. We're being bound together by the person of the Holy Spirit. And that's a fact. I mean, it's a fact whether you know it or not, whether you live it out or not. It's a fact that we're connected that way. But, but we actually have to learn, guys, how to live that out in reality, don't we? We have that as a real reality that's really here, but we actually have to learn how to live it out, how to live it out as Christ's body joined together. It's not automatic, right? It's not automatic that we do that. And that's Paul's concern, really, in 1 Corinthians. His concern in this book is that the local church would learn how to live within that unity that we already have through the Holy Spirit, that we'd learn to live through that and connect to that and learn to actually live as one unified body. And it's something like what Marcelo talked about in Ephesians 4.3, where it said to be eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. So this is something, this, this unity that we have, this communion of the saints, is something we actually need to maintain. This is something we need to learn to live in. This is something we need to help build with each other on a practical level. I mean, it's there whether we do it or not, but we, we won't enjoy it unless we learn how. And discipleship's like that, right? I mean, in discipleship, what we're doing is we're learning to live out the gifts Christ has given us, right? Because when you came to Christ, you were given all kinds of things that you didn't know how to use, yet, or you didn't know how to live in. Things like uh, spiritual gifts. You were given spiritual gifts. You were given ability to pray, a connection, access to God. You were given freedom from sin, but none of those are automatic, right? Are they? Did you automatically walk in your freedom from sin? Did you automatically walk in your, your ability to pray to God now? No, you didn't. You had to learn how to do that, and it's the same with our spiritual union together. We have to actually learn how to live this way. This is a gift you've been given. You've been given a tremendous gift being united with the church. We need to learn to live in it. And we can fail to live in it, right? And, and we have failed to live in it. I mean, if you don't belong to a local church, you've already failed to live in it, right? Because we have to live in a local church to live with the body of Christ. I mean, there's no way to kind of live out this communion of saints if we don't do it on a very local level. And you might object to that. Might you say, well, I love the church. I love the universal church. I'm not so crazy about the local church. But, you know, I, I love the church. I love the church as it's spread. Just like you talked about throughout the world. I love that. I just don't really, not totally crazy about the local church. It doesn't work that way, though, guys. It's like saying that you, you really love the idea of marriage, but you're not real crazy about your spouse. Right? It's easy to love Christians in theory. Theoretical Christians spread throughout the world. That's easy. The Mongolians I met spent a week with them easy, right? It's harder, guys. It's trickier to live out as the communion of saints in a local body, right? Those are the tricky ones, the local ones, right? And, and even those of us who have a local church can fail to live, out, live this out by in, attending infrequently or being consumeristic towards the church or being, having kind of a spectator attitude. You know, uh, you come, but you kind of keep your distance from people and you kind of keep your conversation shallow. 
Um, in Paul's day, when people wanted healing, there were these temples all, all around that were the, to the God of healing. And um, archaeologists found in Corinth, around the same time as Paul was there, there was a temple, and it was to the God of healing. And what people would do when they wanted healing is they would make these terracotta um, images of the body part they wanted healed. Okay, so the archaeologists found this bizarre scene. They open up this temple, and they, there's tons of, like, strewn terracotta body parts all over. And it may be that Paul saw this, and it gave him this idea of members that aren't connected and how they need to be a part of the body, right? So there were these terracotta images of, like, of heads and feet and legs and parts you can't mention, and all the things people wanted healed. And, and it probably was that Paul knew about this and it inspired this illustration because, guys, that... That disembodied way of living the Christian life just isn't an option when we read this. We can't live as separate body parts. And I really think that this is the state of the church in our valley right now. You know, a bunch of disembodied body parts that are meant to be connected in a local church, but they're either without a church or won't connect to the church, which makes our witness very, very ineffective, right? If God's designed for us all to come together as one body, think Voltron or something, all come together as one body, lost most of you, gained some. Um, (laughs) If he meant for all of us to come together as one body and yet we're living separately, that's not going to be very effective in displaying Christ's body in the valley, right? I mean, it's like what we've got is a bunch of organs strewn all over the valley. Or when we gather together and we don't gather together unified, it's like a pile of organs. This is not going to attract a lot of people, Okay? This, neither of those are going to be like, ooh, I need to get in on that, you know? No, it's when we're unified as one body and we display the living body of Christ that people see who Jesus is. We can see him in the word and we can see him in his people. And, and Jesus' mission is designed to be lived out through a coordinated spiritual body on earth. And if, if we don't become a real body together, we're actually missing out on the most important project in the history of the world. Okay? And that's not overstated. There's nothing more important than displaying Christ in the world. You guys realize that in the Bible, individual Christians are never called the body of Christ. They're called temples, but they're never called the body of Christ. We have to be together to be the body of Christ. The body, like it says in here, is many members. Shouldn't we want, in this valley, for Jesus to be represented in the way he told us to represent him? And we got to do that as a body, guys. But we live in a very disembodied age. And what I mean by that is we have been taught, uh, especially over the last maybe 15 years, to live isolated, consumeristic, um, digitally, and apart from each other. Okay? Because we can get everything we want on our phone. Right? You can get any movie you want. You can, get, you can buy anything you want. You can listen to whatever songs you want. You never really have to go anywhere. You can order food. You know, they bring it to your door. I mean, you literally, if you had a stay-at-home job, you could literally never leave your house, and it would work out for you. You Maybe there's a way to get a doctor to come to your house. I don't know. Probably. But, guys, we've been trained to live disembodied. And if you're doing that right now, living as one of these disembodied Christians, not connected to a local body, it's because the culture has been successful in discipling you. Yeah, mm, exactly. That's true, guys. It's not just that you haven't found the right church yet, or you're busy right now, or you're an introvert, or it's just not the right season right now. Those are all the excuses we come up with after we've decided what we want to do, okay? And we decided what we want to do because the culture has been successful in discipling you. It taught you how to live alone and disembodied just like they do. So that's, a, that's the truth, right? And we come up with all these excuses afterwards. Our brains are like that all the time. 
You know, we'll, we'll make a decision and then we come up with the reasons later that aren't the real reasons. So you're not too busy. And if you are too busy, then you really are too busy and you need to do something about that, right? You're not too busy. You've been discipled. And guys, I am an introvert as well. And you guys are like, I don't believe it. Do you know why you don't believe it? Because I'm not one on Sunday. Okay, I read an article a long time ago. It's, it said, pastor, be an extra, introverted pastor, be an extrovert on Sunday. And I took it to heart and I am. So for three or four hours, I behave as an extrovert, and then I go home and die, okay? And I do that because it's important to do. And every one of you guys that are like me and are introverts, be an extrovert on Sunday. It's super important. This kind of life is something we have to push ourselves to do. Some of us have to push ourselves harder than others. And if you die on Sunday, that's what Sunday's for. Take a nap. You'll be fine, right? For me, it's earbuds, zipper hoodie, you know, read a book, recover, right? Extrovert on Sunday. That's what you need to do. Okay. So a couple ways that we're tempted to be, live disembodied from the local church. And you have them in verse 14 and 21. Do you see what they are? First one is to think, well, you don't need me, church. You don't need me. The other one is to think, I don't need you. And that's in verse 21. The first one is, you don't need me. You could think like, yeah, the church doesn't really need me. I'm different. I don't really belong here. I don't really fit in. There aren't people like me here. I don't have anything to really offer this place. You guys are doing a totally different thing. It just isn't really a fit for me, right? That's one way to think. And, and what that's doing, guys, is it's not trusting the Holy Spirit that he has a contribution for you to make here as somebody that's different. Take a look at verse 14. He says, For the body does not consist of one member, but many. If the foot should say, Because I'm not a hand, I don't belong to the body, that would not make it any less a part of the body. And if the ear should say, Because I'm not an eye, I don't belong to the body, that wouldn't make it any less a part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would the sense of hearing be? Or if the whole body were an ear, where would the sense of smell be? But as it is, God arranged the members of the body, each one of them as he chose. If all were a single member, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts, yet one body. And what he's saying here is that it's, it's silly for vital parts of the body, like feet or ears, to think that they're not important because they're not hands and eyes, right? Uh, do you really want a body, and it's a weird image, that's all one gigantic eyeball? Like, no, you don't, want any, you don't want a body that's one big eyeball. You know, but that's what we tend to think is like, okay, these people are like this. I don't fit it, therefore I'm out, right? What you're saying is like this body should all be an eyeball or should all be a gigantic ear. In fact, if you have a body that's all one organ, you don't have a body. That's what he's saying. He's like, if all were the same, where would the body be? He's like, if you have all one type, you don't have a body. Guys, do you know what it's called when a body becomes more and more uniformed? When one cell type takes over? It's called cancer, okay? That is not a body, right? And that's the, it's the same with the church. The church needs multiple different types of cells and body parts to be the body. You know, why does cancer kill? Cancer kills because it interferes with the diversity of the body and the other functions that other parts have by spreading and taking over and becoming all one thing. It can't live that way. The, the, the body of Christ can't live that way. Uniformity actually kills. It's the same way with the church. Uniformity is unhealthy. If you have a church where everybody's the same, you actually don't have the church. What do you have? You have an affinity group. You have, you know, a bunch of clones, a bunch of people that are the same. That's not the church. Just as if you had one type of organ, it's not a human body. A human body is a unity of diversity. It's not uniformity. 
And I know sometimes people want their churches to be very uniform. It's much easier, actually, to lead a church where everybody's the same and has the same point of view, exact same theology, exact same emphases, same gifts, things like that. But you know what? It's also dead. That's probably why it's easier to lead. You know, you need a diversity. And we're actually attempting, aren't we, Josh, a very high level of diversity here that may be disastrous, okay? But we're attempting a high level of diversity, both politically, and you think, no, not really. I know you Christians, you're all the same. No. There's one guy's name you can mention in this room and start a brawl, okay? (laughs) And you know who that is, right? There's a huge amount of political diversity. Um, there's cultural diversity, there's age diversity, which is awesome, economic diversity, there's theological diversity in our church, um, there's differences on the gifts, whether the, you know, I'm going to talk about gifts in two weeks, I believe that the spiritual gifts all continue, there's many in our church, very important leadership in our church that don't believe that, um, there's differences on baptism, um, some of us believe in believers' baptism, there are people in our church that, that believe in baptizing infants, it's something that we're we have diversity in. There's big diversity in theology of all kinds. I mean, you mentioned the word predestination. means a big, different things. Different people that are here, you're like, he mentioned the word predestination. Oh my gosh, I can't breathe. <laughs> and guys, it isn't that we don't care about these things. Actually, if you know me, you know that like I read theology for fun, okay? And so we love this. We want to study this. We even want to argue this out. We love theology, guys, because we love God. And theology is a way to see God as clearly as possible. People that say, oh, it's secondary, who cares? I guess they're content with a fuzzy God. We want to see him as clearly as possible. So we want to dig into these things. If we have differences, we want to debate them and discuss them and maybe learn from each other. That'd be crazy. We could do that. We could learn from each other. It's not threatening. I'm not threatened if you have a different view on these things. Let's, let's hash it out. Let's discuss. We have differences in our body and gifts and emphases. You know, you have people that are very much about... Um, compassion, or you have people that are very much about, you know, just Bible study, and they look at the compassion guys and go, you should be in the Word, and the compassion guys are like, you should apply the Word, you know? We have all these different emphases that are here, and it's great. Guys, we want the highest diversity possible of actual spirit-indwelled people, because that's health, that's strength, as long as we can keep the gospel the main thing, right? Okay, look at verse 18. It says, but as it is, God has arranged. Look at the emphasis on God. God has arranged the members of the body, each one as he has chosen. If all were a single member, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts, yet one body. So guys, we want what you bring. If you feel different than everyone else here when you come in here, that's great. Be praying that the Holy Spirit would show you how to make a unique contribution. It is great that you're different. Um, We want what you bring. So if the first temptation is like, you don't need me, the second temptation is, I don't need you. Look at this, verse 21. The eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you, nor again the head to the feet, I have no need of you. On the contrary, the parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable, and on those parts of the body that we think less honorable, we bestow greater honor. And on our unpresentable parts, we treat them with greater modesty which our more presentable parts don't require. But God has composed the body to give greater honor to the parts that lack it, that there may be no division in the body, but that the members may have the same care for one another. So this would be the spirit of, I don't need you. You don't have anything to offer to me. So if the first person is failing to believe that the Holy Spirit has something for them to contribute to others, this person is failing to believe that other people have something to contribute to them through the Spirit. And especially, guys, people that appear weak and less honored and awkward. Because, guys, when you view the church from a worldly perspective, it does look weak and dishonorable, 
okay? It doesn't look like anything special, right? And in screw tape letters, you guys read screw tape letters? I love it. It's a, it's a group of letters written by C.S. Lewis, and it's supposed to be from like a senior demon to a lower level demon, and he's talking about how to tempt the guy, okay? He calls him the patient, and he's giving him advice on how to tempt him, and he says this, this is the senior demon talking to the lower level demon. He says, one of our greatest allies at present is the church itself. He says, do not misunderstand me. I don't mean the church as we see her spread throughout time and space, rooted in eternity, terrible with, as an army with banners. That, I confess, is a spectacle which makes our boldest tempters uneasy. But, in for, but fortunately, it is quite invisible to these humans. All your patient sees is the half-finished sham Gothic structure where he goes inside and he sees the local grocer with a rather oily expression on his face, <laughs> bursting up to offer him a shiny little book with a liturgy that neither of them understands. When he gets into the pew, he looks around him and he sees just the selection of neighbors that he has hitherto avoided. You want to lean pretty hard on those neighbors. Make sure his mind flirts to and fro between expressions like the body of Christ and the actual faces he sees in the pews. It makes very little, uh, it, it, it matters very little, of course, what kind of person is in the pew next to him. You may know them to be a great warrior on God's side. No matter, your patient, thanks to our Father below, is a fool. Provided that any of those neighbors sing out a tune or have boots that squeak, he was British, or double chins or odd clothing, the patient will quite easily believe that their religion must therefore be ridiculous. Work hard then on that disappointment that is certain to come to him in his first few weeks at church. Right? Isn't that the way we often think about the church? We come in, we think, these are people that, you know, I, I don't need these people. These people wouldn't be of very much use to me. You know, in ancient Greek culture that Paul was writing in, it was really important to find people you could connect with that would move you up. You're looking for patrons. You're looking for networking. You're looking for people that could help you move up. And when you look at the church, like, people tend to think that way still. They're looking around. Who's got worldly success and power and prestige that they could share? And you look at the church, and it looks very weak, and you think, I don't need these people. So what does Paul say to him? He says, well, the weaker members, you need, you need the weaker members greatly. Look at verse 22. The parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. He goes, you know what? You've got parts of your body that are weak that you just cannot live without. It's just total nightmare when they don't function for you. Let's take, for example, guys, your eyes. And you might say, well, they don't seem very weak. Have you ever had one eyelash in your eye? I mean, one eyelash can undo you, okay? It doesn't do that to any other part of your body. Put it in your eye, you can't live, right? It seems very weak, but it's very valuable, right? Um, your brain, you might think, well, that doesn't seem very weak. Have you guys ever held a brain in your hands? I have. Not, not a human brain, okay? So you guys are, oh, and some of you realize, good. <laughs> I'm a veterinarian. I've held brains in my hand, horse brains. And um, it's weird because they're like basically a little thicker than jello. Very weak, right? It's basically a ball of fat with all kinds of electrical activity going on. It's super valuable. It's what makes reality for you right now, right? There's, there's no way you'd even be here without this, you know, ball of fat. And yet what happens? One bad hit to that thing, electroactivity ceases, and poof, you're gone, right? It's the same way in the body. We have members that are super delicate. They're super weak. They're those who need more and more of our care, but they're indispensable. 
We don't say, I don't need you because you're weak. We say, let me figure out a way to protect you and help you. Just like we put a cranium, you know, you've got a skull around this thing. You protect that head. That he's saying, we need to look out for the members that are weaker. He also says that God blesses us when we honor the awkward. I love this passage. Listen very carefully to what he's saying here in verse 23. On those parts of the body that we think less honorable, you're like, okay, what's that? We bestow greater honor. And on our unpresentable parts, we treat with greater modesty, which our more presentable parts don't require. Paul has a very awkward illustration here. It's not the one I would have chosen. He says our unpresentable parts are treated with greater modesty. We cover them. Paul's saying, you know how life goes better if you cover some of those parts of your body when you're out in public? You know life goes better when you cover those? He's saying your life as a body goes better when you bestow special honor on those parts of your body that are seen as weak and dishonored and awkward. The weird illustration because, you know, as I'm thinking about it, is there anybody here that should be like, oh, that's my, I'm that body part. You know, it's kind of weird, right? But it's for the rest of us to think like there are parts of our body that are more awkward or more, you know, society treats them in a dishonored way and we should bestow greater honor on them. The Lord wants all of us people, guys, whom society has no use for, to be honored here, to be honored when we gather. If this is a different kind of society, we, we honor people that aren't honored in society. People that are you know, awkward and have weaknesses are treasured in the church. And they should feel that way. When they come in, they should, they should feel like they're being extra honors being bestowed on them. Just as the human body needs all kinds of different, weak, and even awkward parts, we need each other. Because, guys, the local church is God's way to care for his people. Look at verse 25. It says that there may be no division in the body, but that the members may have the same care for one another. Notice the purpose of this. A lot of times we talk about the division part, that there may be no division. He doesn't just want there to be no division here. Like, that's just the beginning. What does he really want? We all have the same care. It's a lot more than just, oh, I, you know, I'm, I'm fine. I'm unified with the body. I don't have problems with anybody there. Okay, we're aiming a little higher than that, okay? We're not aiming for, I don't have any problems with people there, okay? Which is probably not true if you said that. Like, I'm thinking, like, there's probably problems if you said that. Um, he's looking for something more. God wants the same care for every person. God has composed this body to care for his people. And when you come in those doors, that's what you need to be thinking. This is the environment in which God cares for his people. And you might wonder, like, how do I know whether I'm really living as a vital part of a local church? Like, how can I know if I'm really connected to the body of Christ here? And and Paul gives us a way to know. Because, okay, let me ask you this. How do you know if one of your limbs is connected to your body? You know, how can you tell if your arm or your foot has a vital connection to the rest of your body? I'll tell you what they'll do in an ER. So if you were in a bad car accident and they're not sure how bad it is and you lost some function in your leg, you know what they do? I don't know if they do it this way all the time, but this is the way we do in veterinary medicine. Take a hemostat, clamp it between your toes. Did he react? It's a deep pain test. It tests very well whether this foot is really connected to the rest of the body. There's no reaction to that, then there's not a healthy connection. Paul gives us something very similar. Look at verse 26. He wants us to assess whether we have nerve endings in the other people in this room. Take a look at verse 26. If one member suffers, they all suffer together. If one member is honored, they all rejoice together. Paul's offering us a pain test. It's actually a sensation test. It could be, it could be hurts and happiness, but we're not going to do the happiness part because of my personality and because hurt is easier to test, okay? When you're in the ER, they don't like tickle you with a feather to see if that, you know, how's that feel? You know, they clamp you, right? So we're going to see pain. And the question 
for you is, do you feel the pain of the other people in this room? Are you living as one body with them? Because if I take a needle and stab you in the arm, you will feel it. You'll feel that because your head has a healthy living connection to your arm. If I stab you in the arm, Wayne will not feel that because Wayne's head does not have a healthy connection to your arm, right? This is the test, guys, whether we are really living in the body. And so here's the test. I'd like you right now, if you're new, it doesn't fit you, but if, you, if you've been a part of this church, write down the names of a couple people in this room whose pain you've deeply felt this year. That's the pain test. I just clamped the hemostat on your foot, right? Write down the names of a couple people in this room whose pain you've deeply felt this year. Do you have, and then we need to really ask this, do I have nerve, spiritual nerve endings in the other people in this room? And I'm not just talking about your family. I'm talking about other people in this room. You're like, yeah, my kids. It's like, okay, cheater. Okay, <laughs> nerve endings in the rest of these. Do you register their pain? Are you living as one body with us? Verse 26, if one member suffers, they all suffer. And, and maybe you don't because you're new here, you're visiting, that's fine. Or maybe you've chosen to live a disembodied life. You know, maybe you've chosen to live as a part of the body separate. Um, you're already connected. You're already connected to the body of Christ by the power of the Spirit. It's time to learn to live it out. Now, some of you can pass the pain test easily, and I know that. And you guys this year, I know many of you have felt the pain of other people in this room incredibly deeply, and that's not easy. There's a reason why people wall themselves off in church, right? Who wants to add more suffering to the suffering you already have. Life is suffering, right? To add other people's suffering seems like a crazy thing to do, guys, but it's good. I mean, even if you think through the last year or so, the people that you've suffered with in this body, it's good because you know what it shows? It shows that you're really living the way the Holy Spirit connected you guys to be. It's good. It's a good thing to suffer together. If one suffers, we all suffer and so what if you don't pass the pain test? I want to give you just a few ways. And if you don't pass the pain test, it's okay because discipleship is learning to live and all the gifts that Jesus has given us. I mean, none of us are, have learned yet how to pray as we ought. None of us have learned to live in freedom from sin as we ought, right? And this is another area of learning. So I want to just give you a few practical ways to grow into the body. So it's a growing in, right? First one would be come here. Shoot for every week. Crazy, huh? In our culture, it's kind of understood that if you go to church, you're really part of church, you go like twice a week. I don't know where that came from, okay? It's not in 1 Corinthians, I'll tell you that much. Okay, come and shoot for every week. I know it's totally crazy, but if you're trying to grow into the body, once a week's not too much, right? Let's say you're, you've got a severed limb and you're trying to reattach it to a body and trying to get all the blood vessels to grow together and the nerves and all that. Like, putting them together once a week wouldn't be crazy, right? Probably want to do it more often. It's going to take close, constant contact, right? To really learn to live as one body together, especially in this culture, right? It's vital. And, and, and it's vital that we do this, guys, as an act of trust of the Holy Spirit. So when you come, you're trusting the Holy Spirit that he has a blessing from you for these people and that they have a blessing for you. It's an act of faith, it's an act of faith. It's, it's, I believe in the Holy Spirit, the communion of saints. And I know, guys, for those of you who have young kids, like, you get in that minivan, that ain't easy. No, and it's worse on Sunday because the devil, Saturday night, crawls into your minivan and, and gets all set up, right? And you get your kids in there, and it's, it's a nightmare, right? And sometimes on the way home, you know, all the sanctification wore off that you got at church, and it's like, is this even working? Guys, when you get in that minivan, say this, I believe in the Holy Spirit. I believe in the communion of saints 
right? It's an act of faith that the Spirit's going to do something. Another thing is, um, come early and stay late. We actually have an advantage on this. Come early and stay late. Um, and use that time for deep fellowship. Do not avoid human contact. And I know we have a large supply of introverted type people. It's probably my fault here, okay? Push yourself, okay? Like I said, we're extroverts on Sunday morning. That's not being fake. That's being loving, right? That, that's, that's saying these people need something from me. I need something from them. So you push yourself, right? Um, welcome one another as God in Christ welcome you. Bible verse. Really important. When people come in that door, we need to welcome them. Avoid shallowness in your conversation. I mean, you're trying to have a shared life with these people, right? You're trying to grow nerves into these people. You're going to have to talk with them. You're going to have to find out about them. You have to pray for them, you know? See if something's going on. If they share something that needs to be prayed for, pray for them right away. We talk about ninja praying, right? Ninja praying is when you, like, just start praying for them without asking, right? Just go, dear Lord, you know? You could do that. You could do a modified ninja, which is where you go, hey, can I pray for you? And, they would, uh, and then you get them, you know? You don't even give them time to answer. Pray for each other here. That's how we grow into each other. Come seeking the Spirit in each other, not just in the services of the church. Because, guys, we tend to think that when we come to church, we need services. We need a sermon. Better be good. We need a worship experience, right? We need our kids to be put in classes. We need services. Turns out, though, guys, that we need people, we don't tend to think we need people. Well, ultimately, what do we need? We need God, right? We need God, and the way we get closer to God when we gather is getting closer to people that God lives in, okay? So when you come, you don't just need services. You need people. You need to get closer to them. So come seeking that. Max Lucado has this great thing he said. He said this, questions can make hermits out of us, driving us deeper into hiding. Anybody hiding? Yet the cave has no answers. Christ distributes courage through community, he dissipates doubts through fellowship. He never deposits all knowledge in one person, but distributes pieces of the jigsaw puzzle to many. When you interlock your understanding with mine and we share our discoveries and we mix and mingle and confess and pray, Christ speaks. Isn't that beautiful? That's what you're looking for. It's great. Come for a service worship experience. Come for people. Come for people too. Another thing, serving. Serving the family. This is a great way to get more connected. The best way to do that right now, and this isn't like it's a joke, it's serious, is children's ministry. It's actually the best place you can do this because it's a way for you to serve the kids, and they love it. They, all these kids are excited to come here, excited to learn, got great material. It's a great service to the parents. How many of you parents feel served by children's ministry? How many of you like them in here? You, you don't want them in here. Okay, one wants them in here. You, I think you have them in here, no? Um, when we did the Good Friday service, we did it all, everybody together, and they were so good. And I said to some of the parents, like, we should do this all the time. And they were like, this is my time, you know? Like, so this is a way to serve. It's a great way to serve visitors. I mean, one of the core questions people ask when, they, when I give them a card or give a client a card or something like that, say, hey, come to our church. It's like, do you have childcare? They're interested in that. There's a way to serve them. They come in. They're able to have their kids learn something. And guys, I would ask you this too. Do you know the names of the kids in this church? Talk about honoring the weak but valuable, right? We should know the names of every kid in this church. How many are there? Val? 60? Yeah. So we have like 60 kids, so it could take you a little while. But we should learn their names. We should know them. We should honor the weakest and most valuable part of our body. Um, if not that, then you come for setup. Come for setup. I mean, if you want to spend time with Josh and David and I, the elders of the church, we're here at 730 putting up chairs. Come, hang out with us. Grab a chair. It's a good time. Isn't it a good time, Brett? We have a good time. We fellowship during that time and we put up chairs. Um, 
the community day, you know, at Spirit Park, we have the flyer team, people to go out, hand out flyers, maybe find some of those disembodied parts that need to join the body, right? Maybe you find some people that don't know the Lord, the painting team, the homeless bags, all that stuff. Fourth one, practice hospitality. And here's a question that's going to be convicting, prepare for it. How many of the people in this room have been in your house? That's supposed to happen, okay? And a lot of you guys are like, oh, not my house. Okay. <laughs> How many of these houses have you been in? If you look at it that way, because part of it's accepting hospitality. Um, come to my house. Come to my house on Wednesday. Um, it it kind of turned into a little bit of a men's group, though, um, for the ladies. And we didn't intend this, but it kind of happened. I think at this point, would it be threatening for a woman to show up in there? I don't know. It's kind of a very masculine environment. But um, it's been great, a great time of, of confessing sin and, and, and sharing the word. It's been an awesome time. Men, if you can come, come Wednesday night. If you want to get connected, come Wednesday night. It's awesome. If you can't come Wednesday night, and I'm going to move this out of the way. If you can't come Wednesday night, I would say text Mike. So I have Mike's number up here. Didn't ask him, but it's going to pop up here. Text Mike. Mike has discipleship groups that are going on throughout the week. If you're interested in coming, text Casey. Casey's kind of coordinating this Wednesday night thing at my house. But men, there is zero reason you have to live in disembodied life. I mean, this, this meeting throughout the week thing, they're literally meeting throughout the week. And, and we can start a group whenever it works for you. And so don't live this life alone. We've got other options. You know, Wednesday night, youth ministry is occurring. Um, you could go with Elisa. You could go over to Sun City Gardens and help with visitation there, with the, the elderly there. Um, Thursday night, there's a women's study, which I understand is awesome. You're going through Romans. And you could talk to Val right there. Val, introverted hand up. There we go. Um, and she's got a, a women's study there that's awesome. So ladies get connected to that. If you can't go to that, I'm sure there's ways for ladies to connect other ways. Sunday, Kenny's got a study on uh, 2 o'clock in the afternoon. Now, all these things, though, these aren't just to-dos. These are habits that we partake in to re ourselves into the body. We're attaching that severed limb, right? These are ways that we are habits that we do to connect as a body. And they're acts of trust of the Holy Spirit. I'm trusting when these guys come over to my house that somehow the Holy Spirit's going to give me something to share. And they're trusting, and I'm trusting that they'll have something to bring to me. It, it's, a, it's a mutually beneficial thing. And as we do it, we become a coordinated body. But it's going to take effort. I think most of us, we go to church a couple times, and we come to the small group a couple times and go, didn't work. It's like, well, it's not going to work that fast. You know, like the severed limb is not, it's not Lego. It's not done, you know. No, we have to practice these habits to learn to live together. And then we'll be able to pass the pain test, guys. I want to pass the pain test. I want that verse to be true of me. One suffers, we all suffer. Guys, as we, as we look to the Lord's Supper, we remember that Jesus totally passed the pain test. Didn't he? In his incarnation, he experienced all the pain we have. There's only one person in this world that has actually experienced all the pain you have. There's only one person that's, that's actually got nerve endings in you such that he's felt every pain you have, and that's Jesus Christ. It says in Isaiah 53.3, it says he was despised and rejected by men, man of sorrows acquainted with grief. Grief was his friend. Sorrows, our sorrows, he bore those. And then ultimately on the cross, guys, he experienced pains that belong to us that we'll never have to know. He's not only experienced the pains that you know, he's experienced pains that you'll never have to know. Because we are all sinners, we've all sinned against a holy God, we have all done things we shouldn't have done and not done tons of things we should have done, we've broken God's law, we stand before him condemned, we stand in risk 
of his wrath being poured out on us. And yet, what does Jesus do? He passes the pain test. He takes all that on the cross himself. He was credited with our sin on the cross so that he got the pain we deserve so that we could get the honor that he deserves. He took our whole record of sin and took all the pain that our sin deserves so that we could get his perfect record credited to us so that we could get all the honor and joy that he deserves. And that's what we remember when we take the bread and the cup. And so in a little bit during these next few songs, you'll take the bread uh, and the cup. The bread's gluten-free. And we'll take it just, you know, out here during the songs. You can take it with family. You can take it with friends. And the other thing that the Lord's Supper reminds us, though, guys, is that we have been made one body. In 1 Corinthians 10, it says, The cup of blessing which we bless, is it not a participation in the blood of Christ? The bread which we break, is it not a participation in the body of Christ? And then listen to this. Because there is one bread, we who are many are one body, for we all partake of one bread. That in communion, we have a participation in the body and blood of Christ because of what the Holy Spirit's done. That he's, he's connected us to Christ such that as we take communion, we are actually experiencing his real presence by the Holy Spirit. He actually feeds us Christ's presence during this time. And then it also reminds us, guys, as we partake it, that we are one body together. And worship is about this, guys. Worship is about us being one body together. As we take the Lord's Supper, we remember it came from one loaf, and it literally did come from one gluten-free loaf of bread, loaf of bread teared into many parts. Um, as we pray together, we're, we're, we're reminding ourselves that we're one body, sharing each other's burdens and joys. And so if you need prayer, get prayer afterwards um, over there. And as we sing, have you ever thought about as we sing that we're actually also declaring our oneness? That we're singing with one voice, right? The, the praise of God. And as we do it, guys, we're defying the powers that want to separate us. There's cultural powers, there's spiritual powers that want to tear us apart. As we worship God together and declare his praise together, we are defying the powers of the sage. Isn't that awesome? And we're reminding ourselves. And I want you guys to think about it as we sing, sing loud. Sing to each other. You know, these songs are to be sang to God, but they're also to be sang to each other, right? Singing to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, right? That's part of our unity together. Um, let's pray. Father, we thank you for the true unity we have in your spirit. That we don't have to try to build something that isn't already there, but you have provided your Holy Spirit to unite us together, and we just need to learn to live in him, through him, to connect to each other. I pray, Lord, that you would do great things with this word of yours. That this would be a turning point for many. That we would stop trying to live disembodied and we'd push against, you know, all those feelings that tell us to do life alone and that we'd just really press into our life together. We pray, Lord, that you would be blessed by seeing your children gathered together in unity, worshiping you. We pray as we take the Lord's Supper, Lord, that you would feed us as you've fed us already and with, the, with your holy word, that you would feed us with this holy food as your Holy Spirit brings Christ's presence closer to us. Help us to really know and sense that we've fed upon him today. We pray, Lord, as we go out, that we wouldn't go out as, as, as separate body parts, Lord, that we would go out in the unity of the Spirit and that we would throughout the week seek to connect with each other and to live this life together. We thank you especially for the sacrifice of your son. I pray for anyone that's here, Lord, that, that does not yet know you, that hasn't trusted in you, that is still carrying the debt of sin upon them, that has a pain attached to that as eternal punishment.
Lord, I pray that they would not leave this place without clinging to your son, Jesus. There is no reason for anyone to leave those doors and get in their cars and leave under your wrath. Lord, we pray that you would draw people to yourself this morning. We thank you. Make us joyful worshipers of you now in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to this week's podcast. If you'd like to know more about our church, you can email us at info at May the Lord bless your week and guide your steps. Thank you.